Well, our final reading is taken from John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 1, and uh, reading verses 1 to 5 and then 14 to 18. And John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's sight, he has made him known. Amen. Well, I'd like us to uh, turn back to, well, you may have a Bible in front of you, it doesn't matter if you don't, but back to Matthew chapter 1. And um, I want to think with you about Jesus uh, coming into the world. And uh, let's find my place. And I think the thing is that uh, for most people, uh, in the world today, we, there's a certain fuzziness uh, about the things that are on the periphery of our lives. Isn't that true? We, we, we decide what's really important, what we need to know about, and there are certain things that are on the periphery of life, and uh, we don't need to know about those. I mean, f- who can understand the government's Rwanda policy? I mean, honestly, uh, how strange it is. But this, uh, so we don't focus on those things. Uh, we let the politicians deal with those sort of things. There's, and those peripheral issues in our lives, we let other people deal with them. But defocusing and blurring reality, while it can be a, a useful tool in creative arts, you know, in photography and so on, the trouble with blurriness is that things begin to blend together. And you don't see with clarity any longer what really matters. And some of those details might be really important. And that's what we, what I think is happening around about Christmas time. When people start thinking about Christmas time and what does it mean and what is it that Christians are pointing to and celebrating, what is it when we talk about Christmas with lots of lights and good food and seasonal songs and films and, and you know, all these things at this time of year. Uh, what's missing from all of that? What's usually missing is the reason for the season, as some people put it. In verse 21 of Matthew, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the words Uh, the Lord had spoken by the prophets behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and the trouble is that when we have been 
used to things being out of focus, when they come into focus for us, it can be difficult to make sense of what we see. And I think this is true of Jesus and his birth. As we begin to think actually about what Jesus and his birth means and things become into focus, it can be a struggle for us to try and understand what, what we're talking about here. Uh, a few years ago, I read a novel called The Life of Pi, and it was made into a film. And uh, it's about an Indian boy and a Hindu teenager who comes across the story of Jesus in part of the story. And in the back, you've got to remember that in the back of his mind, this young Hindu boy has all the Hindu gods that he's thinking of, that he's been brought up with. And he comes across Jesus, the story of Jesus. And, he, and let me quote to you from the book. It says, This son who goes hungry, who suffers from thirst, who gets tired, who is sad, who is anxious, who is heckled and harassed, who has to put up with followers who don't get it and opponents who don't respect him. What kind of God is that? It is a God on too human a scale. That's what. There are miracles, yes, mostly of a medical nature. A few to satisfy hungry stomachs. At best, a storm is tempered. Water is briefly walked upon. If that is magic, it is minor magic. On the order of, a, of card tricks, any Hindu god can do a hundred times better. This son is a son of God, is a, is a god who spent most of his time telling stories, talking. This son is a god who walked, a pedestrian god, and in a hot place at that, with a stride like any human stride, the sandal reaching just above the rocks along the way. And when he splurged on transportation, it was a regular donkey. This son is a, a God who died in three hours with moans and gasps and laments. What kind of God is that? What is there to inspire in this son? And that's, so end of quote. And that's what many people think about Jesus. What is there to inspire about this Jesus now, the quote's interesting because it presents to us a, a problem that emerges when you begin to look carefully at Jesus. There are some things that don't seem to fit with the idea of a great hero. And somebody that you could follow and give your life to. Somebody that you could worship and bow down to. Well, that's my job this evening. is to seek to try and as we look at these verses, draw our attention to a few things that we, we need to know about Jesus and about ourselves. And with the Lord's help, we will see more clearly what Jesus is all about. And we'll see, I hope that what we'll see will make sense to us. And maybe some of us here this evening will believe in him for the first time ever. Four quick things. It's not a long sermon, but let me just mention four things I want you to draw your attention to. First of all, he was a human being. Jesus was a human being. And this comes from the statement in verse 21 that says, She will bear a son. And what's going on here is the, the angel has appeared to Joseph 
and is telling him what's happened to Mary because she's expecting that that's a problem for Joseph. We thought, thought about that this morning. But something miraculous has happened because she has conceived. What's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is no ordinary conception. And so this conception is miraculous. But the birth is so ordinary, normal. All the pain of childbearing would, would have been present there for young Mary. Like any other baby born into the world. You ladies know what we're talking about, some of you. Uh, the pain that's involved. And what's more, as Jesus grows up, he shows all the signs of being ordinary in his human nature. He got tired like us, he got hungry like us, thirsty like us, he slept like us, and so on and so on. So why am I telling you all this? Because sometimes we can get this idea that Jesus somehow is superhuman in his nature. That he wasn't like us, that he was some mythical figure that appeared in the stories, but it wasn't real. He was a human being. He walks on this earth. And he wasn't like a superman. He was not an apparition. He wasn't just plonked into the middle of the, in the, of the Middle East as a fully grown man. He came as a baby. Just like any other human being. And he was born like you and me. In every way he was like you and me. And he faced trials and he faced hardships as he grew up and became a man. He faced temptations to sin, just like us, though he never actually succumbed to those temptations. He had to think like a human being, form his thoughts like a human being, into words like a human being as he spoke. He had to be like a human being in every respect. Now that should encourage us. Jesus can sympathize with us. He can empathize with us. Because he has been exactly like us. Perhaps in ways that we didn't realize. If we think of him as unlike us, superhuman, or in some sense up there far away, somewhere in the distance, then we're always going to doubt that he can really know us and understand our situations properly. But he came and he was like us. In every respect, with a body and a soul like us, he was born into humble and poor circumstances. And if that's true, then there is hope that he can know us. He can really know us, each one of us. So he was a human being. Secondly, he was divine. In other words, he was God. How do we know that? Well, from verse 23, which quotes from Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's a quotation from Isaiah 7. And Emmanuel means God with us. Now you'll notice that the son to be born to Mary is given two names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Just think about Emmanuel for a second. And in the Bible, names are really important, especially if God gives the names. 
Because they're not simply given to, to mark out one humanoid unit from another humanoid unit, a label to attach to you. Rather, they say something about God. They say something about what God is doing. You find this all through the Bible, actually. As people are given names by God. That it says something about what God is doing. What he's about to do. And the revelation here in this name is, in Emmanuel, is God is with us. God is with us. Now he is not saying this. He is not saying that Jesus was an especially blessed Ordinary human being like us. By God. And therefore in a sense. God is with us. In Jesus. We're not saying that. You know, because amazing things started to happen to Jesus. That somehow people were gathering around saying. Well God must be really with you. No. He's saying something else. He's saying something much more profound than that. He is saying that the birth of a son to Mary, in that birth, God has literally come into our existence. No longer is he above and far away and distant from us, although he's never far away from anyone, really, by his spirit. But here he is, he has come down. God with us, taking upon himself human nature. To be like us, to walk with us, to interact with us, to speak to us, chat with, eat with, and so on. It's not that Jesus was just another prophet. Though he was a prophet. No, this was a unique, one-of-a-kind appearance. Nothing less than... God's come into the midst of us. God the Son. Not just the Son of God, but God the Son. Come amongst us. To be amongst us. And he did so. This is an amazing thing. This is a bit the discombobulating bit. That he does this, God does this, without ruining Jesus' own human nature. People have had many theories about how God can come into the world. And in some kind of hybrid being. But Jesus is not this sort of hybrid being. A sort of third way, a third being. He is both God and he is man. And without, and God comes into, takes upon himself that flesh. Without ruining that flesh or changing it. And so he is God come in flesh. Fully God, yet at the same time, fully human. And who would be, at his birth, placed in a feeding trough, a manger. What a humble existence. What is, and it's a staggering thing to happen. The whole thing is so staggering, as you think about it. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Some of you would be struggling this evening think, I can't believe that. But that's what the Bible's telling us. God came in the form of a baby, a human being. It is the most unbelievable claim of Christianity, I think. And it sets Christianity apart from any other religious system. That God should come down from the glory and the majesty of heaven and truly be with us in this baby. What's your view of that amazing idea? 
What do you think about that? Do you think it's ridiculous? Do you think it's laughable? Annoying? (laughs) Or maybe you find it intriguing. Maybe you want to find out more. Maybe you find it even compelling that there is a God and that he could do something like this for us. An amazing thing. Well, a couple more things to say uh, while you think about those things. He was a human being. He was fully divine. But thirdly, he was part of a long-established plan. A long-established plan of God. In the Bibles we have in front of us, uh, verse 23 is formatted uh, in such a way that uh, it's laid out as a quotation. And that's because it comes from the Old Testament, somewhere else in the Bible, 700 years before Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if this book is made up of several episodes spanning many centuries, but it has one author, as we believe it does God, then it has to be in the plan of God and the purpose of God for a long time for this baby to come into the world. Who is God? A baby conceived of a virgin and born in a normal way to be God with us. That's why we read all those readings from the Old Testament as well as the New Beginning with Genesis. That right back at the beginning, God said, I'm going to send my seed. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. The head of the evil one. And destroy evil forever. And the whole story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through. Is the story of the preparation of the coming of Jesus until bang, he comes. Here he is. Arriving. The fruit of a virgin's womb. He grows up to be a man and he's going to be our saviour to suffer and die in our place. What an amazing thing. It tells us that God was active and engaged in this world long before Jesus came. And they had a plan for the world. And at the very centre of that plan was his son, the son of Mary, Jesus Christ. Now the question is why? Why has he done this? What's the purpose of that plan? What's the reason for his coming? What's the the reason for it all? Which brings us to our final point. Yes, he did come for a reason. He came for a great reason. This is where we go back to the first name that's been given to uh, to Jesus. Because Jesus points to the fact... That he will save his people from their sins. Jesus has a link to that idea of Jehovah saving people. Why is that relevant to the boy Jesus? Because God is going to save people through this baby. Because he's coming to save. He's coming to rescue people from the disaster that awaits them. The judgment of God. Now we've sung quite a bit about that. I don't know if you noticed in our songs this evening. But the judgment of God. He's coming again. But we need to be saved from that. Now the question is what do we need to be saved from? And you know firemen save people from fire don't they? They have to come and rescue people. Coast guards save people from the dangers of the sea. What does Jesus save people from? 
He saves people from their sins and the consequences of them. Sins are an absolute disaster in their lives. You will know and you will have a taste of that in your own life. You will know the things that you have done wrong, you regret, many things that you have done in your life that maybe you wish you could go back and undo and do them differently. And maybe some of them are terrible things. And that sins are an absolute disaster in our lives. They make everything go wrong. And life becomes a grind and it becomes toilsome in every, every respect. Every, every, everything groans in life. The older you get, the worse it gets. Some of you oldies, you know, that, you know what that's like. As your body begins to fail and you begin to struggle a little bit. I'm feeling that too. You know, your body begins to fail and you think, just life is such a grind. And it's all because of the corruption of sin that comes into the world. More than that though, our sin separates us from God. They're like a big chasm that's formed between us and God. It's like we've lost our moorings as human beings from God and we're drifting off into the sea of sinfulness and emptiness. And we don't know how to get back. We're at the mercy of the seas of eternity, if you like. It's because of the state of lostness that God has taken the initiative and planned to give his son into the world to come as a baby. And let's be clear, it was painful for Jesus. It was painful for the son of God to come. To take that majestic step of of coming down from glory above into the misery of our existence. For that's what it is. And to live amongst us. And to suffer in the end. In such a way that saved his people from their ultimate fate and lost eternity. That's, That's really pointed to the cross now. You can't separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. Why was he born at all? To go to his death when he was in his 30s. And that's why he came. He did that all on the cross. That's why Christmas is integrally connected to Easter. And you can't have one without the other. And so when we come to Easter, we'll think about his resurrection. But we'll think again about the amazing work of salvation in Jesus Christ. Do you see Jesus like that? Do you see him on a rescue mission and coming to rescue you? If you would have him, he's like the fireman that comes into the building and is holding out his hand to you and saying, Come, come, come down this ladder. Come to safety. Come with me. Come to safety. I will see you through to safety. If you come to me. And many people in the world are like sitting in the building that's burning and thinking, nah, there's no problem. I'll get around to it one day, eventually. Jesus says, come. He says today, come. Come to him. And come and be saved. In the story that I quoted from earlier in the life of Pi, uh, the character goes on to say about the son, the son that he found strange. What kind of God is this? He says this, He bothered me, this son. 
I couldn't get him out of my head. Still can't. I spent three solid days thinking about him. The more he bothered me, the less I could forget him. And the more I learned about him, the less I wanted to leave him. Isn't that interesting? You can be bothered by somebody, but, but you don't want to leave him. This is how Jesus kind of gets under your skin and changes your life completely. If you don't know, yet know Jesus this evening, that's my prayer for you this Christmas time. That as you think about Jesus, you'd be bothered about him. That you'd, he would bother you, but in a helpful way, such that the more you learn of him, the less you want to leave him. So he becomes everything to you, and you see him for the saviour that he truly is. Amen.